idea for this, uh, this sermon is unity with Christ and each other is crucial for his worldwide mission. Recently, my uncle passed away. He was a follower of Jesus and ran the race to the end. Before he passed, his health was declining and he knew that his time here was coming to an end. It made me think, if I was in that situation, what would I be thinking? And what would I be praying? Jesus was also in that situation, although his, his was a life cut short, with a big mission ahead for others to follow. Faced with imminent and certain death and a lot of unfinished business, what would be your prayer? Would you pray about your superannuation, your career that has now been cut short? Would you pray about your half-finished building or landscaping projects, or perhaps the things on your bucket list you still haven't done? I think not. What would be your prayer? Well, based on feedback from people who talk with the terminally ill or dying, it's nothing like that at all. What people talk about is family. And that's who Jesus prayed for, his current future and future family, the church. That is what we're going to look at this morning, the prayer of a dying man. And that's a prayer that changed the world. Before Jesus was captured, sentenced uh, and went to the cross, he prayed for three main people or groups of people. He prayed for himself, his, himself, his disciples and for us. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? Jesus took time in his final days to pray for his future church, for us. Let me set the scene. Jesus and the disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane. The disciples are relieved that Jesus isn't talking in riddles anymore. They finally believe that he is who he says he is, the Christ, the Son of God. He has just finished explaining that he has to go to leave and leave them to be with the Father and that their grief will turn to joy. He begins to pray and the disciples, or at least John, who wrote this gospel is in earshot. He then moves on to the disciples. So he starts out by praying for himself that he may be glorified. He then moves on to the disciples and prays for their protection from the evil one and for, and for unity. And finally, he prays for us, the future church, which is what we we're focusing on this morning. We'll be looking at the what, the why, and the how of Jesus' prayer. So let's first look at the what. So what does Jesus, what does Jesus pray for us, the future church? His prayer is primarily for unity with him and each other, for the church to be one like Jesus is one with the Father. Read, me, read with me in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. What Jesus is praying here is not just a casual association or some kind of mutual agreement, although that's part of it. No, Jesus gives a specific example of the relationship between him and the Father, a close relationship between Father and Son. This is a oneness that has a special meaning, particularly for what lies ahead. His other main focus is for the church to be in Christ, which we pick up halfway through verse 21. 
May, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they, be, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. So Jesus' prayer is for us, the church, to be unified and to be in Christ. We will look at the why, um, we will look at why this is important in a minute, but let's first look at what unity looks like or what it doesn't look like. What does Jesus mean when he prays for unity for the church and to be one? Let's take a look at some other passages, most, most of them in the New Testament, that speak of unity. So please read with me in your Bible, if you can um, keep, keep, keep up. But the other passages will be up on the screen, hopefully in a, in a minute. And by the way, uh, Sharon, you can thank me later for having a three-verse a three Bible reading. So the, fir- the first one is Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. There's also uh, the passage from 1 Corinthians. We've been doing that recently in church. You might remember from chapter 1. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach, all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. From Colossians chapter 3. Bear with each other and forgive one another in any, if, if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. From 1 Peter, finally all of you be, be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. The last one, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, a united church is one in thought, faith and knowledge in Jesus and displays the fruits of the spirit. Above all, love is the binding agent the glue that brings us together. A great picture of love and unity is there in the early church as well, in Acts chapter 2. I promise this is the last big chunk of scripture I've got, that's right. For me, this is a a really great picture of unity. The end of chapter 2 of Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs performed by the, by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a wonderful picture of unity, isn't it? So what then is the opposite of unity? What should, we, what should we be seeking to avoid? Well, 
Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul warns against divisions in the church. Here is an example of what unity isn't. Two men were standing on the Golden Golden Gate Bridge. One is about to jump off and the other is trying to talk him out of it. The man asked the jumper, so are you a Christian or a Hindu or a Jew or what? A Christian. Small world, me too. Protestant, Catholic or Orthodox? Protestant. Me too. What denomination? Baptist. Me too. Northern, uh, Southern Baptist or Northern Baptist? Northern Baptist. Me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? Northern Conservative Baptist. Me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? The jumper answers, North Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. Me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Council of 1912? The jumper answers, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. The man then pushes the jumper off the bridge and screams, Die, heretic! (laughs) Sadly, we can all too easily relate to that. Not the murder aspect, of course, but we can relate to how fragmented and divided the church is today. In one sense, it is unified in that it's easy to share and communicate with other Christians around the world. But in another, you almost can't count how many denominations there are now. As you know, this week the 2016 census came out. I dug into the data on Christian denominations. I counted just under 100 different categories that people listed and they're they're just the ones that people actually listed, there's a heap more. So not only are we segregated by geography, which is understandable, we find new and creative ways to divide ourselves further and further. Call me cynical, but I wonder if this is what Jesus meant when he said that the church should be one. Let's now look at why Jesus was praying for unity with him amongst the church. On two occasions in this prayer, Jesus gives a reason to this end. In verse 21, he says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And he says, may they also be in us so that the world may know, may believe that you have sent me. And again at the end of 23, he says, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Why is unity so important? Well, it's crucial for the success of the worldwide mission to make Jesus known. It's crucial. The mission ahead is huge. The end goal is for the world to know Jesus. And at that point in time, only a small region was covered. The disciples have only just discovered after three years who Jesus is. And now this message is to go across the whole globe. How is that going to happen if the church is divided in its understanding and purpose? We now know, as Jesus did, that the church would be scattered across the world and tested by persecution. If the church is to pick up its cross and follow Jesus, it will have to be united in Christ and with each other. Thankfully, we are not alone and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to do the heavy lifting. The second reason Jesus prays for unity is because of his amazing love for us. 
Read with me in, in verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. This reason blows my mind. The one who was with God in the beginning, when he breathed the world into existence, the one who is the glory of God the Father, wants me to be with him and to see his glory. Jesus longs for me, us, to be with him and share in his glory. Wow. Not only is his mission a huge geographical nightmare to reach the whole world, it's also one of personal love for his children. He wants you and me to be with him and to share in his glory. I've known this in my head for a while but this prayer makes me understand it a lot more in my heart. How then do we respond to this prayer? How can we practically contribute to unity with Christ and with each other? A good start would be to follow Jesus' example and pray for unity in his church, here in Robertson, in Australia and around the world. We should be thankful for the love of Jesus Give thanks for his amazing love that longs for us to be with him and to share in his glory. I am personally thankful for the people who have remained here in this church through difficult times and when there's been disagreements or potential division. For the sake of the mission and for the unity of the, of the church, you have remained. Thanks for making it not about you, but about the body of Christ and for the mission. Our worship and fellowship here is all the richer for you and your gifts being here. I experienced division in a relationship recently unrelated to church. It didn't end well and the issue was exacerbated by the fact that the person didn't speak directly with me um, but went around me to other people. I found out about issues I supposedly had, had second hand and the, the person in question no longer wants any contact with me. It was quite hurtful and frustrating. I feel like that experience was a real lesson from God and I share it now as a warning and an encouragement to be upfront with people. If you have a grievance with someone, talk to that person directly, in love. Don't speak to everyone else, then go to that person. Division so often happens in the shadows and behind closed doors and then it explodes without warning and it hurts those involved. This also applies when it involves church leaders. I know that Graham definitely appreciates being given feedback to his face rather than getting it second or third hand. As a practical model of love and unity we should look no further than our brothers and sisters in the early church. Again in Acts chapter 2. There were four main areas to their fellowship that helped foster unity. They were devoted to growing in Christ through teaching of the word, meeting regularly with each other, sharing meals with one another and praying together. Pr prayer is actually such a unifying thing, isn't it? Praying together. If we are to be an answer to Jesus' prayer and to be united with Christ and to each other, for the sake of the worldwide mission, 
we should also devote ourselves to these things. Can I ask you, are you devoted to growing in Christ through his word? Are you meeting regularly here and in a small group or similar? Are you sharing meals with one another? Are you praying together regularly with other Christians? Can I encourage you to look at for yourself again at the experience of the early church and to seek it as a pattern of church life? Even read it as homework. I have to say that after meditating on it myself, I feel fraudulent standing up here preaching about it. Thanks be to God for his grace. It's not that complicated, is it? But it's very easy to let the business of life distract us from what is really important. Jesus concluded his prayer by asking that the Father's love would be in us and that Jesus himself would be in us. If we are practising these things, we are likely to answer Jesus' prayer and be united with him and be be a united church. The German philosopher, I I can't say this, Schopenhauer, Schopenhauer compared the human race to a bunch of porcupines huddling together on a cold winter's night. He said, the colder it gets outside, the more we huddle together for warmth. But the closer we get to one another, the more we hurt one another with our sharp quills. And in the lonely night of Earth's winter, eventually we begin to drift apart and wander out and freeze to death in our loneliness. Christ has given us an alternative to forgive each other for the pokes we receive. That allows us to stay together and stay warm. It's going to be a cold winter. We better stick together. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your church. We thank you for your great love for us, that uh, you long for us to, to be with you and to share in your glory. We thank you for that privilege. We thank you for this gathering here. And we thank you for your church worldwide. We pray, Father, that we would truly be in Christ and be unified with each other. We pray this for the sake of uh, Jesus. Amen.